right, we're rolling. Okay. Last podcast of the year. Woo! Okay. Uh, let's roll. Okay. Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. Whoa. <laughs> and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We're so happy that you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Hi. Shall we start out with some announcements, announcements, announcements? Uh-huh. Okay. I've just got one uh, sort of perennial announcement for this season. Mm-hmm. Shannon's new album, Good To Me, is out in the world. And we want our people to listen to it. Mm-hmm. That's it. We take all this time, you guys. So <laughs> much time making, crafting records for you, you know? Like, we don't just, like, poop these out, like, in a day. <laughs> like, they take a lot of time. Records take a lot of time to make and to make well. We're talking, like, literally, like, this one took us, oh, like, the better part of a year yeah. when all was said and done. Uh-huh. Shannon started it in January, yeah. and I finished my last work on it in early November. Yeah. And there were some gaps in there. Yeah. We, there's, we had the luxury this year of setting it aside for a couple months and then revisiting, which is great because you can hear all the last little details with fresh ears. It's good, yeah, it's yeah. It's really, really good. But the point, people, is that it is a process. It takes so much time. We put so much love, so much of ourselves into it, so much heart into it. Yeah. All we want is for you to fucking listen to it. <laughs> That's literally all we want. People are listening to it. Guess what? I was looking at our uh, Spotify numbers this week, yeah. or just like earlier today, yeah. and like already, uh, like... Good to me songs from the Good to Me album have been streamed well over four thousand times since its release, which is like small potatoes when it comes to like you know if, you, can, artists, if you were to compare yeah. to a big artist. But like that's a lot for us actually. It it's really great. So yeah. thank you for listening. It's definitely our best uh, out of the gate numbers ever. Yeah, and that's really really cool. Yeah, and that's because of people like you, listener. So uh, you know if you if you've been listening to the record, thank you. That's really great. Uh, we hope that it is finding a home with you. Mm -hmm. We hope that it's making your life better and bringing you joy. It's the best of all possible things in my my view, which is that it's Mm. a joyful record with a deep message. Yeah. Right? Like it sounds joyful. The sound of it, when you put it on, it's fun. It's up. You can play it at a party. It's fun music. But then like lyrically, it's really deep and there's meaty stuff to take away from it. So like you get that sort of sugar rush thing that gets you into it, but then there's something that like has sustainable energy. Yeah. It's really cool. I love the experience of listening to a record where like, I'm like, this is catchy and fun and good. And then like, the 20th time I've listened to it, I recognize a lyric line or I, or I figure out what a lyric line yeah. is for the first time. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. oh. This record, to me is chock- <laughs> this record to me is chock full of that oh, experience. It's really, really cool. So people, I'll drop a link in the show notes, but just you can search Shannon Curtis Good To Me on any place that you like to listen to music. Yeah. You know, uh, Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, Cubas. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know how to pronounce that. It's Q-O-B-U-Z. We just heard from somebody who lives like on the West Coast who uses Cobas. Cobas, yeah. Whatever, I don't know. Whatever that is. A- apparently what it is is a high fidelity oh. streaming site. Like oh. everything is minimally CD quality and sometimes 24-bit and like 96K, like wow. like like hi-fi. Cool. I know, it's really nifty. Well, wherever you listen, listen. Listen, just go yeah. search it because you know... It's free now. You just go listen to it. Yeah. Uh, if you want it not to be free, if you want to support our work, you may do that. You may send us money. <laughs> Thank you. you can, that, literally, it's a thing you can do. I just like to remind people of that sometimes because yeah. I think that probably it would be possible to get the idea listening to us just talking that like we just make music and we put it out and you listen to it and who pays for it? Nobody knows. I think they have a trust fund. We don't have a trust fund. No, we have a support community. That's it. 
And yeah. there are people listening right now who I know are active monthly supporting members. That's yes. mostly what we encourage people to do. We love you. Thank you, people. Uh, it's such a help. I mean, it helps us pay our bills every single month. That's yeah. how we make the music. That's how we yeah. pay for the time to make right. the music, right? right? It's just like a literal one-to-one thing. Again, no trust fund. It's just people supporting the work that we do. So to the people who are listening who are supporting our work, you are our lifeblood. It helps so much. To the people who are listening who aren't yet supporters of our work, it is inexpensive. We don't ask people for hundreds of dollars because we know that people can't do that. Instead, what we do is we ask a lot of people, like, what if you put in 10 bucks a month? Just a little bit, two two lattes a month, (laughs) right? Just send Shannon and Jamie one latte each. Yes. But the cash, because we don't need the lattes. We have plenty of coffee around the house. Again, that's how we make music. Right. you can go to misfitstars.com slash support and you can just chip in. Everyone chipping in a little bit and we aggregate that across hopefully a broad enough base of people. Mm-hmm. That's how we do what we do. It it's is. called micro patronage. It's the wave of the future. <laughs> and we would love for you to participate if you're not already. Kickboxing is the sport of the future. I, I know. I was thinking about that. <laughs> I was thinking about that. We were delivering a personal song to somebody earlier today and they were asking for suggestions for how to uh, give the gift of the personal song. Yeah. And my suggestion was, what if you had a boombox and you held it up over the top of your head like Lloyd Dobler? So this is the second Say Anything reference in just like a matter of 20 minutes. I love it. It's super good. We should watch that movie again, by the way. Yeah, okay, okay, I'm into it. I have an announcement as well. Oh, what is it? And that is that uh, this, the the episode you're listening to right now, is our last episode of the year 2022. And that means we're going on a little holiday break. Yeah. We'll be back though. Don't worry. Yeah. We'll be back in January. Uh, and you'll know that we're back when you see uh, a, the next episode pop into your podcast feed. Yes. And we'll see you then. Yeah. We're, not, we're not really making any promises about when that's going to be. We're going to take a break, and when we're done taking a break, you'll know. We'll see you then. Yeah. Jamie, how are you feeling? <sighs> Thank you for asking, Shannon. Uh, I feel like an endurance runner right now. <laughs> That's what I wrote down. That's how I feel. Yeah. It's a good feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. you've been doing a bunch of exercise oh, yeah. and you feel like you've really been going, 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 but also yeah. you feel really good and in shape and finely tuned and like you could keep doing it for a while longer if you needed but to. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's how I feel, yeah. you know? Yeah. You and I have just been kicking butt uh, over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks with all the stuff we've had to do. We've mm-hmm. hit all of our marks. Everything's been going really well. It's been a shit ton of work. Yeah. Uh, maybe even a metric shit ton. <laughs> Like a lot. And I'm so grateful that we had the work and that we did so well with it. Yeah. Uh, Also very excited that it's nearly drawn to a close. Yeah. uh How about you? How are you feeling? I am right there with you. I was like, I don't really have a, I can't think of like a word, a feeling word to describe this, but it's like, it's like that moment the feeling that you have that moment right before a big exhale. Mm. That's what I feel like. Like it's like it's a pre-elation <laughs> or a pre, you know what I mean? Just I'm like, sure there's a German nine-syllable word for this. There's got to be. There's got to be. But that's what I'm feeling too. Like Gotterdammerung, but yeah. like for exhalations. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So uh, so that's what I'm feeling uh, for all the same reasons that you are. And, and that's good. Uh, why don't we fire up the good news machine? Heck, yeah. I've got one. Me too. Um, so this is pretty brief though. And this is just, uh, I'm, I'm mentioning it because uh, you might not have heard about this. 
and it could be useful to you. Uh, but just this past week, the Biden administration announced that it is going. It's it has resumed its very popular free at-home COVID nineteen test program woo, woo. through the U.S. Postal Service. Great. So you just go to that website. Uh, what is the website? You'll put it in the show notes, I imagine. Yeah, right? I can do that. Okay, uh, the website in the show notes. Go there and you oh, can- you know what it is? It's special. USPS.com slash test kits. Okay. But I I'll put it in the I notes. wouldn't remember that. But yes, go to that link and you can order uh, four free at-home COVID-19 tests. So there you go. That was my good news. How about you? My good news, uh, it's twofold. Okay. Because today is two anniversaries. Oh, oh, okay. Right? Yep. All so right. the first anniversary, okay. and by the way, that's Tuesday, December 20th, the day we're recording okay. this. Okay, uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it is my 18 and a half year sober anniversary. Oh, 18 and a half years you've I been sober today. today. Congratulations. Thank you. Super, super cool. Uh, that's just a really long amount of time all of a sudden. It's wild. And that is good news. It's really good news. you've been sober for 18 and a half years. Oh, yeah. Good yeah. news for me. Good news for you. Good news for the world. Good yeah. news for everybody. Yeah. I was a menace to myself and society at large. And yeah. now things are different. Yeah. It's just great. If anyone wants to talk with me about that sort of thing, I know that this can be a triggering time of year. Mm. Please just reach out to me on socials or at jamie at misfitstars.com and we can talk about it. Awesome. The second anniversary is that today marks five years of us living in Tacoma, Washington. Oh, that's right. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Five years, just like that. We rolled in in the dark, in a snowstorm, (laughs) in a 26-foot-long Penske truck with our car towed behind it. Oh, my gosh. Well, it didn't start snowing until a couple days later, but it was cold. There was ice out there. There was snow and ice out there. I don't know what to say, because there wasn't. (laughs) Oh, fair (laughs) enough. In my memory, it was so snowy. No, not at all. Yeah, great. Because I had my very first snow on Christmas Eve. That's right, because there was no snow because you had your first snow a couple days later. Yeah. Oh, in my mind, in my mind, it's funny how memory is just so fallible. Oh, it really is. You know? Yeah. By the way, and I love that awkward pause where you're like, I don't know what to say here. (laughs) I'm not editing that pause out. That pause is going to live on and people can just live in that awkward moment with us, which I really love. Yeah, in my memory, it was just like, because that's how it felt. Right, because it felt yeah. like everything being just sort of foreboding and inhospitable and difficult. We mm-hmm. had just driven through a very difficult snowstorm that drive, morning. We drove through snow on our way here. Yes, yeah, you're totally. right about that. But it and wasn't I, snowy here yet. And it was cold out. And I remember there being sort of like maybe an icy puddle in the back maybe. or something. Yeah, As maybe. we were trying to maneuver the big Penske truck and the trailer trailing, towing our car. Even and, if there wasn't actual snow, the vibe was snow. Okay, <laughs> I tend to go more on vibes and accuracy. Snow vibes. Yeah. I like it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So five years, five years. Just like that. That went by so fast. It's funny, like it did and it didn't, right? Mm -hmm. Because in one sense, I can remember like the time before very well, but Mm -hmm. also these last five years, holy shit. Like fully, like almost three of them at this point have been pandemic times, yeah, you know? Uh-huh. The anniversary was, what, last week of the first case in, uh, in Wuhan, China, right? I mean, we right? know about it, but retroactively. Retroactively, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned that on the podcast, right? No, but yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so, like, we've been living in a pandemic for basically three of those five years, and pandemic time has felt very elastic, very long, very stretchy, totally. very difficult. The Trump administration was in full swing when we got up here. Just everything was, it's been hard. Things have been hard and yeah. weird. So it's actually not gone just like, hold on, 
just like that. <laughs> Had to get a good snap. It's really, it's weird. Like it's actually felt like a long time to mm. me. How about you? Mm. Yeah, it's both of those things, long yeah. and short. Um, what, five years, here's what it is for me. Five, the, the, the phrase five years sounds like a long time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, and in one sense, it... It, it has felt like long because of all the things you just described. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I don't know. I just, I like, there, this is, there's another sense of this whole thing where I feel like this is our home. Yeah. And like, I feel very much settled here in a yeah. way that feels more like 15. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. So it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird time. But you know, what a great thing to celebrate. That was such an audacious move. Like yeah. we were like, what if we tried to buy a house? <laughs> what if we did that outside, way far away from where we currently live because we can't afford something here? What if we just moved to an entirely new state, packed up our entire lives and like start over somewhere new? Seriously, and, like, it we, was, we it, moved 1,100 miles. It felt very... Um, it felt very bold at the time, you know, to make such yeah. a big move. It felt yeah. very like, here we go. And, <laughs> but I was, I'm so glad that we did. I love it here. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it is good news. Five years here yeah. in our new house. Our new state. Love it. Love it. Um, well, Jamie, I think we, that we should all, uh, uh, let's get less dumb. Class, anyone? Anyone? Well said. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I need to get less dumb. <laughs> yeah. Dumb. I have a couple, less dumb. I have a couple things. I'm going to start with one of them. That sounds good. It's very brief. Mine are, I've only got one thing, but it's long. So maybe we should do both of yours and then we'll, we'll settle into mine. Oh, okay. 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 Great. That's, that's What's thing one for you? Okay. Thing one is very short. It's just a little like factoid, like, like, You'll, you'll see. It was a, it's a post I saw on Mastodon, um, and this person, Daniel Feld, Feldum? Feldman. It Feldman. arguably doesn't matter. Well, no, I want to credit the person who said that. Okay, Daniel fair. Feldman. I'm just Feldman. reading the thing wrong. Feldman. Fun fact, Daniel says, the MP3 file format mm-hmm. <clears throat> is as old today as eight-track tapes were when MP3 was invented. Hmm. <laughs> Does that make you feel old? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't that wild? Here's the thing. It doesn't even really make me feel old because eight tracks weren't even relevant when I was a little kid. They'd already moved into the dustbin of history. Oh, see, for me, that's not true. And that's just probably because my parents had an eight track player. We had an, we had a, a boat that we would like tootle around the Delta on in Central right. Valley, California. And that had an eight track player in it. And they also had a stereo system that had an eight track player at home really? when I was little. So eight tracks were part of my life, like especially on the boat. Because like, the eight tracks we had were all like golden oldies. Hell yeah. Which was, you know, at that time, songs from like the 50s and 60s. Yep. And so like, that's what we would listen to. I was, so I, I have, I have extensive experience in putting an eight track in an eight track player and hitting play. Like that that's part of my life. That's nifty. I never had that experience. Uh, okay. Uh, I wish I had. Okay. But I never did. Yeah. I sort of did a little bit after the fact. Uh, when I lived in San Francisco, my best friend and I both bought old cheap cars from 1975. Oh. Mine had a regular stereo in it. I put it like it came just with like an AM radio and that's mm. all it had which was very 1975 awesome. vibes. Yep. Uh, 
and I replaced it with a CD player stereo with a detachable faceplate, you know, like sure. you do. But Rob's car had an eight track. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And he actually went to, I mean, it was hard even in like 1997 to, to find, find eight tracks, but yeah. you could like at, th at thrift stores or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, and he found a really good condition, uh, Cheap Trick Live at Budokan. Oh, how fun. Uh, and it just kind of lived in there. That's amazing. And so if you were riding in the Fleetwood, you were listening to Cheap Trick Live that at was, Budokan. That was the soundtrack of the Fleetwood. It was appropriate. I it was love really it. good. That's so so good. Yeah. Okay, so my second item is not as fun. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but it was informative, this stuff for me. And so I wanted to pass it along to y'all in this segment. Um, so last week was the, uh, the 10 year, can you believe this? The 10 year anniversary since the, uh, since Sandy Hook, mm. which is where mm. that uh, kid 20, was he like 21 years old or something? He was young. Yeah. Went into an elementary school and it was the, it was, a brutal massacre of like first and second graders and right. a, a several teachers. Right. Right. And 10 years, like I can't believe that was 10 years ago. That seems like- That does seem recent. It seems more recent than that. Yeah. But I remember that was that was a moment for me where I was like, okay, we, we've had so many mass shootings. Yeah. School shootings. This is the first, like the, there are first and second graders dead yeah. because of this person having access to an assault rifle. Yeah. And being able to just go in and, you know, murder these people. Like, I remember thinking at the time, okay, this this is going to be the thing that actually, like, breaks the log jam in Congress and we're going to get we're gonna get gun safety leg legislation. Everyone like, thought I, that. I it really, was a sea change. Like, you weren't alone. I felt that. Everyone right, felt that. Right, And it's been 10 years and only just this last summer we got a teensy little tiny bit of gun safety legislation. Like, tiny, yeah. Unreal. Good. But tiny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, dashed hopes. But uh, this, the, apropos of that anniversary, yeah. Um, Heather Cox Richardson, in her newsletter last week, uh, shared a bunch of facts about guns mm -hmm. in the United States, which I thought were really illuminating. And they were really just succinctly, this isn't like, it, isn't, it wasn't like new, new information for me, but she so succinctly gave this information that I think it's just, it, it was helpful to read it. Um, in terms of like, you know how sometimes when you're like, okay, there should have been gun legislation 10 years ago when Sandy Hook happened, right? Like, and the fact that it wasn't, that it hasn't happened, yeah. like, many, like really meaningful change hasn't yeah. happened. You can kind of start to think like, well, maybe it's not that big of a problem. If, they, if it were, maybe they'd do something about it. And like, it's helpful to like read the facts and be like, no, actually. Yeah, okay, like, so are you going to read some facts? I am. I'm okay. going to stop self-gaslighting and read the facts. So um, yeah, so here we go. We have, this is all quotes from Heather Cox Richardson. We have, in the United States, 120 guns for every 100 people. Hmm. The next closest- More than one gun per person in a country of like 340 million right. people. The next closest country is Yemen. And they have about 52 guns per 100 people. Notoriously violent hellhole, Yemen. And then there's us, which is- twice as bad, more than twice as bad. Yeah. Well, because here's the thing, to the rest of the world, we are a notoriously violent hellhole. That's it's like really important to remember that. Like we live here and to us, it's like quote unquote freedom. Good you know what point. I mean? Good point. But from the rest of the world's perspective, it's just fucking insanity. Yeah. And they've known that yeah, forever. That's a good point. Here's the next fact. Uh, the gun violence archive um, defines a mass shooting, defines mass shootings 
as one in which four people are shot, not including the shooter. Right. And that's a lot of people. If you right. think about any being and in And they don't have to die. They just have to be shot. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In 2021 yeah. alone. Yeah. Do you want to gander at how many mass shootings by that definition we had in 2021? Uh, I, I don't even have the foggiest idea. 692. Like about two a day. shootings in 2021 alone. So like a mass shooting basically every 12 hours, give or take. It's insane. Yeah, literally. Here's the next one. Uh, while gun ownership has actually declined since the 1970s, by which she means fewer people own guns right, than like they the, did. The percentage the- of citizens who own guns has gone down. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's declined since the 1970s. There are far more guns in fewer hands. A study in 2017 showed that about half of U.S. guns are owned by about 3% of the population. That's fucking nuts. So you go back to that statistic about how there's 120 guns per every 100 people in our country. Yep. And you take half of that number of guns... And that's owned by 3% of the population. So it's- that's 200 million guns. I've been doing the math here. Okay. So, so uh, 1.2 times 340 million people means there's about 408 million guns. Let's call it 400 million guns in the country, right? Okay. And so half of those guns would be 200 million. Okay. So now if you take that 340 million people and you figure what's 3% of that, that's 10.2 million people. So 10 million people own 200 million guns. Oh my gosh. So there's like 10 million people who own 20 guns per person. It's, it's, it's wow. Just wow. So uh, this last fact about guns uh, isn't about like the number of guns. It's about like the more about the question of like, why the hell aren't we doing something about this? It's crazy. Mm. Like it is not, we, we just, yeah. Uh, but here's some facts about that. Uh, in the wake of these horrific murders, like Sandy Hook, and most recently, Q Club in in uh, what was the uh, Colorado Springs, mm-hmm. um, uh, Congress tried to pass a bipartisan bill requiring back ge- background checks for gun purchases. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that was the, uh, right after Sandy Hook is when they tried to do this. But even though ninety percent of Americans supported background checks, yep. and in addition to that, 74% of NRA members yeah. supported background checks. Yeah. Uh, and even though at that time, back when Sandy Hook happened, 55 senators voted for background checks, yeah. it died in the Senate with a fili- because of the filibuster. Right. So like when you think about all these statistics about guns and you're thinking, this is unacceptable, you're right. And most of the vast majority of Americans also agree that it's unacceptable. The thing that is keeping us from doing anything about it is the filibuster. Yes. And as uh, with so much good stuff that a majority of people in this country want, mm -hmm. that a majority in Congress could enact. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So there we go. Now we're less dumb. How about you? What do you got for us? Oh, man. Okay, so uh, I I read this really interesting piece uh, in this publication called The Intercept. the, I'll, I'll give you the sort of teaser top line uh, statistic from it, okay. and then I'll drill down, okay? okay? Okay, So the teaser top line statistic is that since 1975, there has been a upward wealth transfer okay. of about $50 trillion. Meaning so, that- Meaning like- that- wealth has been transferred from poorer people to richer people, like the top 10%, right? What's, what's the number? $50 trillion. 
I don't even have the capacity to visualize. No, it's just that number. It's, it's impossible to. It's 50, so much. Fifty money trillion. Yeah, totally. Five zero. Five zero trillion. trillion. Yeah. Like, okay. The better part of the overall United States budget for like many years. Okay. It's, it's really crazy. Um, so. I'm just going to, I have excerpted some parts of this and I'm just going to uh, uh, touch on them but to provide some context. Okay, and just to be clear, that upward transfer of wealth, maybe you're going to get into this. So I, I am. Okay, stop it. But like it's because of, of, of I'm going to get into this. Financial policy. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, the article starts, has the recent bout of high inflation in the U.S. been caused by insufficient supply in various areas of the economy? or by too much overall demand? And that's just a big question that's out there right now, mm -hmm. right? Apropos of uh, federal money policy. Right. Like, we have inflation right now. That's a given. So what's causing it? Is it because there's not enough supply, uh, or is it because there's too much demand, okay. right? Inflation always happens when there is more demand than supply. Right. Prices go up, right? right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the question is, what's the driver? Is it on the supply side or on the demand side? Right. Okay. Big, big question, because it totally informs how we're going to address this, but it also has all these other implications, right? Right. So, there is a new paper that just got put out by two world-famous economists. Okay. Their names are Ira Regmi and Joseph Stiglitz. Okay. They're both really famous. One of them has won, like, I think the Nobel Prize in economics or something. Okay. Like, they're, they're really, really well-regarded. Very reputable. Yeah, totally. And because they're economists, they're by nature pretty conservative people because that's just how that profession tends to go. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so... A new paper by Regmi and Stiglitz makes the case that the answer is insufficient supply. Uh, and as, as they put it, and this is a quote, today's inflation comes mostly from sectoral supply-side disruptions, largely the result of the COVID-19 pandemic, mm. and disruptions to energy and food markets originating from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Right, right, right. right. Uh, and they specifically say, and they say it italicized in the original quote, they okay. say it is not the result of significant excesses of aggregate demand, such as might have arisen from excessive U.S. pandemic spending. So inflation, they're being emphatic about the fact that the inflation we're experiencing right now is not at all happening because of the stimulus that our government gave people during the pandemic. That's exactly what they're getting at, okay. right? And so it goes on to say here, like if these guys are correct, it suggests that we can use the tools of the government to make life better for almost everyone. Right. Right? Conversely, if they're wrong, perhaps making life better for people is impossible. <laughs> because the immutable laws of economics simply don't allow it. And if we try to make our lives better, we will be punished for our hubris. Okay. In almost like a Greek tragedy kind of way. Right, you know what I mean? Right, right, right. Uh, but like their paper, uh, I, I'm not getting into the math here, but the paper, the, the paper is very simple to read. The math is very simple and they explain it very simply. Yeah. Uh, you know, so first of all, this means that large fast increases in interest rates by the Federal Reserve that like they're currently doing yeah. uh, will not substantially lower inflation. Right. Right. Unless they induce a major contraction in the economy, which is a cure worse than the disease. Right. Because right? the contraction means more unemployment. People are suffering. Yeah. Yeah. We're and so the question, that. of course, like this has seemed pretty obvious to lay people. I have looked at this and been like, like, I can tell where the causes are, and it's obviously not people have more money. It right. just, it's like the way, our, the way our economic systems are set up in this country, they're set up so that when ordinary people get money in their pockets, the system falls apart. And it's because the system is set up to benefit wealthy people, right? Mm -hmm. So 
faithful consumers of America's elite media, thinking like TV news, New York Times, Washington Post, whatever, yeah. right? Uh, I think they generally, they, they make the point in the article that they generally get the impression, people generally get the impression, that everyone in the U.S. is more or less on the same team. Like, while we may disagree on, like, how to get there, we all share the same economic goals, right? Like, a fast-growing economy with low unemployment and a thriving middle class, like the American dream, quote-unquote, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, a, 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 an economy where people do better than their parents. Okay. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. that's always how it was sort of couched, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thriving middle class, et cetera, et cetera. Spoiler alert. Yeah, so spoiler alert, they continue. This is absolutely false. The people at America's commanding heights do not want this at all. People in power. That's right. People with wealth and power. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you look at it from their perspective, that's easy to understand, right? Low unemployment means an unruly workforce with the leverage and confidence to unionize. Rising wages for employees means less money for employers. The higher inflation that tends to accompany a high-demand economy of mass affluence, like where just everyone has a little money in their pocket, uh -huh. you know what I mean, yeah. like happened with the pandemic, yeah. is effectively a massive transfer of wealth from creditors to debtors, so from rich people to poorer people, yeah. you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Um, and so, and they continue, so the uncomfortable truth is that the top 1% generally prefer a slower-growing economy with higher unemployment of to its they. opposite. This is the case, and this is wild. This is why this is wild. Okay. This is the case, even though they might be richer in absolute terms in an economy that worked for everyone. Like, the people at the top would literally make more money what? in an economy that worked for everyone. Because they could sell more stuff to more people with money. Well, of course. Right? It's yeah. so obvious. But instead, they prefer to have less money, but more relative power. Oh, my. Because it's not about money for them. It's about power. God. Right? And one can be a substitution for the other, obviously. But, like, how appalling and wild is that? Right? And so... Here is where the rubber meets the road in Ugh. terms of how this has worked out in this country to get to the question you pose at the top here, right? Yeah. America's leaders have put a lot of work into this maleficent project over the past 50 years, and their success can be measured in just two startling statistics. First, when the federal minimum wage was established in 1938, it was worth about $5.30 in today's dollars. Okay. Okay. Then for the next three decades, it went up hand-in-hand hand with the U.S. economy's growing productivity. Okay. Until 1968, when it reached about $13 an hour, right? Wait, so in 19... Was 68, you said? It was it was worth about $13 in current? It, yeah. Uh -huh. Which is way less than it actually is right now. Oh, yeah, it's wild. So... Oh, uh, way more, excuse me. It's way that's less right. now. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so... It went, the minimum wage went up hand-in-hand hand with the U.S. economy's growing productivity until 1968 uh -huh. when it reached about $13 an hour. But since then, it has not just stopped going up. It has fallen right. in real value to today's $7.25 per hour, right. right? However, if it had, if the minimum wage had continued going up with productivity, it would now be around $25 an hour. Mm -hmm. That means that a couple who both work minimum wage jobs would make about $100,000 per year. If, right? if it had been if minimum on wage the same just kept going up trajectory that's right uh, and they make the point here we know from those first 30 years of the minimum wage that there is no economic reason that minimum wage continuing to go up was impossible it's or just, bad it right? was good that's right that's right <laughs> it, it's just that it has been politically impossible <sighs> because the barons who run our country don't want it to happen because they have more power over us when the minimum wage is lower, right? <sighs> so there's this uh, corporation called the Rand Corporation. Uh, they 
they're, they're like a think tank kind of about yeah. the economy. You okay. know, they're really conservative. They're yeah. super establishment yes. focused, right? They recently calculated how much money the increasing income inequality over the past uh, four or so decades, almost five decades, has cost most Americans. Uh, so they looked at the U.S. income distribution in 1975, right? Mm -hmm. And then they calculated how things would have played out over the next 43 years through 2018 if the income distribution had remained at 1975's level. Mm -hmm. So you just figure out what the income distribution is in 1975 and just freeze it and you just play it out over 43 years, like how would it have looked if it had stayed that way? As the economy is growing, here's how the distribution would, would move with that The distribution growth. stays exactly the same. Right. And here's how the dollars yes. move. Yes, okay, thank right? you. Mm -hmm. And they're finding, and again, keep in mind, super establishment uh, think tank, mm -hmm. uh, very conservative. Their finding is that the bottom 90% of the population in our country mm -hmm. would have taken home a cumulative $50 trillion more in pay. Again, the bottom 90% would have taken home $50 trillion more in pay. And of course, that means that the top 10% would have taken <sighs> home $50 trillion less. But the top 10% of people took $50 trillion from the bottom 90% of people over yeah. the past 50 years yeah. due to economic policy. And again, and they make the point Due to here, like Reagan kind of economics where sure. like we slash taxes for the wealthy because yeah. it's going to create jobs. Bullshit. Yeah. I mean, it's a project that started with Nixon, but yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, all these conservative like economic policies have been just horrible Absolutely. Us. And they make the point here, that, again, this was a political choice, not an economic necessity, right? right? Because if you look at the first 30 years of the minimum wage, when it essentially it wasn't pegged to, uh, to growth of GDP or whatever, but it tracked it. Uh-huh, okay. okay. And everything went great. They didn't cause problems. Yeah, Employers were doing fine. Yeah. Everyone was doing fine. Employers were doing great. The middle class was doing great. Everyone was doing great. And as soon as it decoupled, everything started going to shit for basically everybody except the very richest people who already were rich, but now, just as we see all around us, have way more than they need, than right. anyone could need. Right, right. It's just... <sighs> Not even more than they could need, but more than you could ever actually use in a lifetime. Like, yeah. but many lifetimes, many thousands of lifetimes. Yes. I mean, <laughs> so, which means that we're creating at this point dynastic wealth for overlords. Yeah. Right? I would think, when I think about that number of like, basically since 19, you said since 1975, that $50 trillion has been essentially taken out of the pockets of the bottom 90% of the American yeah. population. I mean, even more, because that was through 2018 okay. that they had the numbers, and there's been four years since then. And and also wealth inequality has uh, has It also jumped got, in the pandemic. It has, yeah, it's yeah. gotten even worse. So it's probably more like $55 trillion now, because I know that $3.5 trillion went from lower to upper in the pandemic. But when I'm thinking about that number, here's what I'm thinking. Like, contrast that number and, like, you know, who knows how many, I'm not going to be able to do the math in my head for how many dollars that would translate for, you know, peep, a regular person. Mm -hmm. But the point is we would all have, we would all have had a lot more money available to us, a lot more resources available yeah. to us. Yeah. And I compare that with like, how many times have people listening here been freaked out about how they're going to pay a medical bill? Yeah. Or like been, you know, uh, had months where they're not sure where their rent's coming from yep. and are facing eviction. Yep. Or, you know, or just, you know, wanting to, you know, buy a little something nice for a loved one, but not being able to do it. Right. You know, like, I think about all the, like, the day-to-day like, -day things. Everyone's stretched that in. We have all been put through. Yeah. The stressors that that puts on us as human beings. Yeah could have been largely alleviated. <laughs> 100%. We could have been all living in abundance this entire time. Holy shit. No, it's just that rich people decided that, that they didn't want that for us, that they wanted more for themselves. Well, and like, but like you said, 
they would actually, in, in dollars, probably still have more. They would have more dollars, dollars yeah, but, but they, they would have less power. power. Good God. Uh, it's just appalling. It is. It's just appalling. <laughs> there is this... Uh, account that I follow on Mastodon called The Share Zone. They make like little memes, like pictures and text yeah, and stuff. Yeah, silly and memes. Yeah, and they've got one. Uh, it's, it's actually a t-shirt. Uh, it's got a picture of a guillotine mm -hmm. and the text on it says, as long as people have necks, this motherfucker still works. <laughs> and I think of that when I think of this story. Yeah, totally. <sighs> well, why is it that uh, so often when I'm getting less dumb in this segment, I'm also getting more mad? <laughs> <laughs> Why? I'm, there is a direct correlation that has been ex exhaustively documented yeah. between uh, knowledge and uh, mental and emotional torture. Yeah. You well, know? Thank you for sharing. It actually yeah. is useful information. Yep. It helps with just the resolve of like, we can do better and like we can, we can work to build power with other people who believe we can do better. Yeah. And we can vote for people who make laws that make us put us in a situation where we can do better yep. than we have been. 100%. we could do better. Yeah. Uh, I'm under the impression that you are here to petition for a gold star. Yeah, but you know what? I had to leave time for the music. I just launched right in because I was so excited. Oh, okay. Yeah, but uh, I'm actually requesting some for you too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. So here's the thing. It's personal song season, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we got, you got hired to write three personal songs for people this holiday season. Four. Four, that's right. One of them already happened, yeah. Uh, so, four. We did the bulk of them this week. Mm -hmm. And two of them were what's called full production personal songs. Yeah, yeah. Right? So, for anyone listening, Shanna writes songs uh, about someone's loved one for them to give as a gift to that person. We do a lot of them around Christmas and Valentine's Day for pretty obvious reasons. Uh, and you can do two levels. You can do an acoustic version, and that's where it's just like a keyboard and a voice, you know. Uh, or you can do a full production version, which is something that sounds like it's on one of Shannon's new albums. Yeah. You know, just huge. Yeah. Big recording. Uh, and uh, we had two of those to do, mm -hmm. and we knocked them out of the frickin' park. <laughs> They do sound I, really good, and they're killer great. songs. Yeah. You wrote great songs, I think. Uh, performances are super good, yeah. and the production came out awesome. The mixes came out awesome. Just everything about them, like we really, really hit them out of the park. Like they sound like like they could be on Good to Me. Yeah, they, they're ex they, they're exactly of that quality yeah, and caliber for sure. Uh, That's and it's the goal. Just so cool. Yeah. So I just feel like maybe we should get some gold stars. I just want to run that by you. Oh yeah, absolutely, gold stars for you. Um, I'll take my gold stars because right before we started recording this podcast, I actually heard back from the person who hired uh, me to do those two full studio production songs and she absolutely loves them and was crying tears streaming down her face, loving them so much. So those are her tears are my gold stars. Okay. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Awesome. So good. Yeah. Okay, cool. So uh, this feels important. Yeah, so I have an item for this, and I it's it's a very big deal. Mm -hmm. It is very important, uh -huh. but I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it. Go for it. Uh, and that is just the news that came out yesterday that Congress, uh -huh. the January 6th committee, uh -huh. to investigate the insurrection that happened in January 2021, mm -hmm. uh, recommended, this is the first time this has ever happened in the history of the United States, mm -hmm. that that committee recommended... Four separate criminal charges against former disgraced President Donald Trump. Wow. 
uh, recommended to the Department of Justice that he should be he should be uh, indicted on four separate criminal charges. Wild. It's wild. There's not any like there's not any binding. Uh, like this is not like a binding recommendation. Like nope. con- Congress is just essentially like making a suggestion box yeah. item. Yeah. Uh, but it does carry more weight than just anybody saying Trump should be arrested. Totally. Because it is a co-equal branch of government with the executive branch under which the DOJ operates. Yep. And so they have to take it seriously on that level. Yep. And if the DOJ, for whatever reason at this point, uh, would decide not to bring charges on any of these counts, they would have to now explain why. Yep. Because they can't just let it slide. Yes. Right? Because it's in the public record as another co-equal branch of government saying, hey, this guy committed crimes and you should charge him. Yeah. And they, there's accountability that has been set in place because that's right. of this. Right? So that's good. That's good news. Um, and also they did a shit ton of investigation and they have like just like hours and hours and hours of of uh, deposed testimony and uh, and and documents that they emails, text messages, yeah. uh, audio recordings. They have so much. I mean, thousands and thousands of hours of stuff, right? Which they're now you know sharing completely with the Department of Justice to and with the public. All of it's being made public. Well, there's some stuff. I, mean, I don't know. I, I don't. Are all of the are all of the things being made public? I, can't I believe remember. so. And the reason I think this is because in his run up to his uh, House leadership bid, Kevin McCarthy is saying that he's you know there's going to do all these investigations and blah 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 right. uh, into the January sixth committee and right. what are they hiding? And Benny Thompson's uh, he's a chairman of the committee. His response <laughs> that a couple of days ago was, uh, "Mr. McCarthy is a member of the public, and seeing as we're making a hundred percent of our materials available to the public, he's welcome." Oh, to read them. Okay, that's great. I yeah. love that. That's so snarky and awesome. It's so good. But the, so the point is that like the, the, all that stuff will, will aid in the the investigation as well. And so I don't really want to say much more about it except for it is a big effing deal. Like that, a, that a, a U.S. Congress has has said a former president committed crimes and is recommending to the Department of Justice that this person be be charged with federal crimes, including the crime of insurrection, mm-hmm. like. That's a that's a coup. <laughs> yeah. Like they're they they're they're you know, we we hear about coups in other countries, right? Like the fact it ha- like it it someone attempted it here. Yeah. A former president yeah. attempted it here. Oh, yeah, totally. Like and I know that like we know Like it's a banana republic like Central American I know, country. And I know like we know all this, but like it is important. And I and I don't really want to say much more about it than that. I just wanted to mark it because like it just seemed too significant to not mention. Yeah. Okay. So All right, that's then. it. How about you? Okay, so I uh, read this really thoughtful, very interesting uh, opinion piece in the Washington Post by a writer named Kate Cohen. Okay. And I just wanted to share a bit about it okay. because I thought it was so thought-provoking and interesting, right? Okay. So she starts out, when I wish strangers happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas, it's a battle cry. Okay. I'm not waging a war on Christmas. I like Christmas. But I am declaring my allegiance to one idea of America that opposes another. Inclusive versus exclusive. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then so she talks about how there have been instances in recent memory, I mean, obviously there's a lot of them, uh, where people, uh, you know, conservative types of people get their, get real up in arms about change happening, right? right. Even when it doesn't affect them at all. <laughs> a couple of examples she cites are like crackle, Cracker Barrel introducing plant-based sausage, you know? What? Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Apparently, Who like- cares? 
Well, yeah, right? Like, it wasn't that they were replacing their entire menu no. with plant-based alternatives. It's that they were adding An to option. their many meat options one plant-based option. People were fucking pissed. What? Oh, absolutely, because they're desecrating, I don't know, the, the, the good Cracker Barrel name. I'm not exactly oh sure. But it's that kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's just ridiculous. Uh, again, another one, uh, when Disney had a black Little Mermaid. Oh, you know? right. And oh my God, conservatives freaking the fuck out about a, there being a person of color when clearly mermaids are white. Fictional character mermaids are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh my God. Come on, right? So uh, with that as context, she continues, and I've just excerpted, I've strung together some little parts that make her point, which I think is so thoughtfully yeah, made. Okay. So she says, I get that it's destabilizing to lose your monopoly on the culture or to realize you never had it to begin with. Uh. To be informed by your small town events calendar that the particular kind of Christmas you've celebrated your whole life is not the winter holiday, but a winter holiday. Yeah. For the record, I like the expression Merry Christmas better than Happy Holidays, which reminds me of cheap cards and officialdom. It's uh -huh. the bored mantra of the mall. Inclusive language can be blah. Spouse and pregnant person and happy holidays make blurrier images in my head than husband or woman or Merry Christmas. Mm. But that's the point. Mm. To blur our shared imagery, to leave open the possibilities mm -hmm. so that schools, doctors, parents, and most importantly, the law are less likely to look at a pregnant trans man or a gay couple or a non-binary child or a Jew and think that they don't fit the picture. Yeah. And she finishes with a quote from somebody. If I can crack a door open in a conversation and let another person in, yes. why wouldn't I? I love that. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't we do that? Inclusive language, people. That's what it means when you say happy holidays. You're not hating on Christmas. I love to hear her say that bit about, for the record, I like the expression Merry Christmas better than Happy Holidays. I do too. Yeah. You know, uh -huh. it's a cheery, wonderful thing that brings back childhood memories, the whole bit. It's culturally ingrained in me sure. as a devout atheist. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's whatever. I'm a secular Christmas lover. Yeah, it's possible to great. be, yes. you know? And I think that Happy Holidays just sounds, like she said, kind of like something card. you would get from the government. You know what I mean? <laughs> happy Holidays from the DMV. Cool, man. You know what I mean? But, like it's a, like it being boring and dumb is less of an important point than the point that by using the more generic terms it, you create more space for other people to occupy those spaces it welcomes people who aren't who don't fit the definition that you have asserted by using the narrower term that's it it, yeah. it, 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 it encompasses people who aren't the default setting yeah. and that's what inclusion means it's welcoming and especially in this time when we have fascism on the rise incipient authoritarianism in the United States of America mm -hmm. I think it's more important now than ever to really be overt about being inclusive Mm -hmm. as opposed to exclusive, to really go out of our way to use the awkward words, to mm -hmm. say the boring, stupid-sounding thing, secure in the knowledge that it will not narrow the possibilities for the person hearing it, but maybe expand them a bit. Yeah, I love that. I love it too. And also, frankly, for, for anybody who calls themselves a Christian out mm -hmm. there, Jesus would totally have used the welcoming words. And there are 100%. stories in the Bible that depict him doing just that. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep. or, or at least doing the welcoming thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I love that. Yeah, I love it too. So thank you, Kate Cohen, writer. Very cool. For those good vibes. Uh, I feel like we've already sort of entered the inspiration station, but we're officially cruising into that stop now. Inspiration station.
I've got one. You've got two. Do you want to go first? Yeah, this is just, the first one is just a really um, kind of a, uh, kind of an awesome thought. Okay. An awesome thought. Uh-huh. Okay. And, and this is a post I saw on Mastodon last week by a user with the username Winter Wonderzan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> with, an, with an X on okay. Zan. Um, so thank you, Xander. Yeah. Um, and Winter Wonderzan says, everything you have ever known and ever will know is a tiny fragment of a 13.8 billion year old explosion, which is still happening. Aw. <laughs> Isn't that cool to think about? Like, hmm. like the universe started some 13.8 billion years ago with an explosion and it's still happening. Like, they, like the universe is still expanding from that explosion. Sure, of course. And everything that we're experiencing is just this, little sliver yeah. of, of, of that massive event. Yeah. It's kind of just awesome to think about, you it know? Is. Like, it's incredible because like our lives are so full of meaning and our mm-hmm. lives are so full of so much, mm-hmm. you know, people, love, experiences, creations. Like, like it's, there's so, there's so much in, yeah. our, in our lives, but our lives are so little, yes. you know? And, and, to think about the possibilities that exist in a universe full of little things like our big lives mm-hmm. is kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, that's my first one. What's yours? Okay, so I read this awesome little write-up in the New York Times a couple of days ago about these kids who have started something called Luddite Club. <gasps> You told me about uh, this. I love the Luddite Club. Okay, so uh, I'll just read a little bit here. Uh, it's not very long at all. Uh, I just want to get to the point of what they're up to. So on a, on a, on a brisk recent Sunday, a band of teenagers <laughs> met on the steps of Central Library on Grand Army Plaza in Brooklyn to start the weekly meeting of the Luddite Club, a high school group that promotes a lifestyle of self-liberation from social media and technology. As the dozen teens headed into Prospect Park, they hid away their iPhones, or in the case of the most devout members, their flip phones. Amazing. Uh-huh. They marched up a hill toward their usual spot, a dirt mound located far from the park's crowds. Uh, and what did they do there? And what did they do there? After the club members gathered logs to form a circle, they sat and withdrew into a bubble of serenity. Some drew in sketchbooks. Others painted with a watercolor kit. One of them closed their eyes to listen to the wind. Many read intently. The books in their satchels included Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment, Art Spiegelman's Mouse 2, and The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius. So these kids are just like, they're, they formed a club around the idea of getting off of smartphones, getting off of technology, like uh-huh. just being in the world and being with each other yeah. and doing things like painting and reading and listening to the wind. It's the best. It is so cool. The club members cite libertine writers like Hunter S. Thompson and Jack Kerouac as heroes, and they have a fondness for works condemning technology. Arthur, the bespectacled PBS aardvark, is their mascot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of us have read this book called Into the Wild, one of the kids said. Uh referring to John Krakauer's 1996 nonfiction book about the nomad Chris McCandless, who died while trying to live off the land in the Alaskan wilderness. It's kind of like an inspirational text for them, right? Uh We've all got this theory that we're not just meant to be confined to buildings and work. And that guy was experiencing life, real life. Social media and phones are not real life. I love it. When I got my flip phone, things instantly changed, Lola continued. I started using my brain. It made me observe myself as a person. I've been trying to write a book too. 
It's like 12 pages now. I love it. Oh my gosh. And it continues from there, but that's the vibe. Oh my gosh. Go kids. The kids are all right. I know. Okay. What you sent me the article and I read it too, and it was just so inspiring. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that was interesting to me, I've, I have heard the, the word Luddite yeah. for a long time and known what it means, but the article t- discusses the history. It was actually somebody's name. It comes from someone's name yeah. who was like sort of like railing against the Industrial Revolution, right? Like it was... Yeah, it was this guy in the like uh, Victorian era okay. who, as legend has it, I believe he he went into a factory and destroyed a bunch of, was it looms? Okay. Some kind of textile making thing because uh, it was a new technology that was like disrupting stuff at the time because people used to sew stuff by hand or And whatever. his name was Ludd, right? His L- name was Ned Ludd. Ned Ludd. And so to become somebody who's anti-technology or like yeah. wanting to resist new technology, you become a Luddite, if that's if that's what you are. Yeah. It's so wonderful. I love it. So Ned Ludd, uh, uh, by the way, he was a weaver, right? Okay, okay. And so he was pissed about looms. Of course. Sure. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Man, what an inspire! I would like to join a Luddite club. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it really I does. I really love that. You and I have kept various bits of significant technology across the course of our lives, you know? And one of the ones that we've oh, held on older to... older technology? Yeah. And we've held on to our Razor phones. Uh, I mean, they're in a box in the basement. Like, that's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like I use it. No, we have... That's right. We hold on to them like little pieces. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, every time I go into that drawer for something or else <laughs> and I see that phone, I just feel this yearning in my heart for what it was like to have a cell phone back in those days. Well, you could do that. Because like, you could connect with people. You could text with people. You could call people. The voice quality was really, really good. It's shit now, but back in the day, it was like really, really good. Uh, but like, you know, it didn't have that whole like, like it, it wasn't like this thing that lit up and caused you anxiety all the time. Um, you know? Yeah. It was just a neat way to connect with people. Yeah. I really feel parallels between like that and like Mastodon versus Twitter, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. How it doesn't have that manipulation factor built into it. Totally. That addictive thing. Yeah. It was just a really neat tool and like you could text people. You could play, right. you, could, you could play Snake if you had a Nokia. You know what I mean? I that's so funny. Yeah. So, you know, this this article definitely kind of brought little yearning feelings Super out of me. Super inspiring. Yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Okay, so my last bit for the Inspiration Station mm-hmm. uh, comes from a, a woman that I follow on Instagram. Heidi Rose Robbins is her name. And she was talking about... Um, well, I'm just going to read a portion of a post that she shared this past weekend. Um, she says this, let me offer this. May we always stay open and curious about new friends. Mm -hmm. It's so easy as we get older to say, well, these are my friends and there's no need for more. (laughs) But truly, what a delight to forge new friendships and to hear new stories. Mm -hmm. And this is the part I loved the best. And to hear ourselves tell our own stories in new ways. Yep. May we always keep our hearts open to the knock at our door, the stranger who will become a beautiful new part of the tapestry of our lives. What a joy to make a new friend. I just, I that idea about when we meet new people and we're telling them about ourselves, how like it is an opportunity. And I notice this when I'm meeting new people and having conversations with people who don't know me yet. Yeah. That it's an opportunity for me to introduce myself mm-hmm. in a way that reflects all of who I am up until that moment. Like my older friends may know that too, but like, I don't know, being able to tell my own story to somebody new, like with a fresh slate. Yeah. Like it gives me an opportunity to 
I don't know, maybe sort of in a way really like embody uh, the changes and growth and new things in my life. You know, I like it, like yeah. by telling my story in that way, like it, it sort of like solidifies those things in me. Yeah. Does, that, does that make sense? It does. I have a different take on it for me personally, okay. which is that I find that every time I like tell a new person my story, yeah. it's a different story. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's, oh, that's, that's part of what I mean. Yes, because we're, our stories are constantly evolving, yeah. right? And so like people who've known us forever, you know, of course they keep up with how we're, with our lives and how we're changing and that kind of stuff, but in, in some ways. Mm-hmm. But like they kind of, they kind of know us from that, that, that previous fixed point in time. Right. You know what I mean? And so to, to be able to tell your story, you know, it, it's a new story. Yeah. And, and it's really a neat opportunity to be able to like know yourself in sort of a maybe a slightly different perspective yeah. when you're sharing that story with a new friend. Yeah, totally. You know? So I meant something even different than that. Oh, and it's, okay. it's my fault because I was unclear. Okay. Uh, what I meant is that as I grow and evolve, my perspective on who I used to be yeah. and what parts of it are significant to who I am now, yep. that perspective changes. 100%. So like, yeah. it's not like I have just stacked historical items that remain unchanged. And yeah. I just add things on the end of that block continually. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. It's like the stuff in the past changes too. Yeah. Like all of it is dynamic. Yeah. And, and what I choose to surface with a new person may be really different now than it was 10 years oh, ago. Oh, for sure. And also like how I think about how that life event impacted me and affected who I am now. Right, right. Like, my take on that might be really different now than it was. Like my mm-hmm. understanding of myself yes. and my understanding of that event and my understanding of the relationship between those two things yep. could be really different. Yep, I'm, I'm, I feel that. Like yeah. that's that's part of what I'm trying to get at with all okay. this. And, like, yeah. and, it, and it, it just is, it was an interesting perspective and really an inspiring thing to think about the idea that we open up that opportunity for ourselves to mm-hmm. tell ours, to see and tell our own stories in those new ways. Yeah when we open ourselves to the possibility of building a new friendship with somebody new. I yep. just it's a, what a wonderful what a wonderful door to walk through and I I just loved I love that. Yeah, me too. I am looking for friends all of the time everywhere I go. (laughs) I'm very friendly, you know? I inherited that from my dad. Uh, I'm very grateful for having inherited that from him. Uh, He always approaches people in a really just like open-hearted way, just just random people in public, Mm -hmm. you know? And Mm -hmm. as a result, he's kind of always had friends everywhere he's gone, you know? Uh, And I like that. I I try to do that too, you know? People are neat. Getting to know people is cool. (laughs) Yeah. Well, why don't we finish up this episode with a gratitude crank up? Would you like to go first? Sure. Um, I just made a short list. A list, huh? Just it's a short list and they're related. I'm I'm just like I'm grateful for the Christmas lights in our house and in the neighborhood and also for our neighbors. Yeah. And we've had some lovely friendly interactions with them, a few of them lately. Yeah. Uh, and I'm also grateful for the anticipation of the sweet, small celebration we're planning to have this week for Christmas. Yep. Like, I know a lot of people for this this time of year is like very like hectic and mm-hmm. there's lots of activities and events and people and planning. And I just am looking for, and I'm grateful for the fact that we get to kind of just ease into sort of a sweet, small, yeah. small thing. And, yep. and yeah, just feeling like cozy and bright and merry and mm. grateful for all those feelings. Nice. How about you? <sighs> uh, I am just grateful for some time off. Yeah. We have not had 
a lot of time off lately. We have literally not had a day off since December 1st, you and I. It's true. And today is December 20th. Well, also, December 1st was not a day off. True. It was frenetic planning <laughs> was for December the, 2nd. <laughs> sometime bef- the week before December 2nd, we might have had a day off. Yeah, actually, it's really true because like that would have been a Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. Like, So it's probably much more like November 27th or something. It's been an impossibly long period of time. I think since Thanksgiving. We haven't yeah. had a day off since, since Thanksgiving. We almost made it the entire time from Thanksgiving to Christmas without a day off. And like we've been really, really busy, and that's that's great. I, I feel lucky. Like when you're two self-employed people, busy is what you want to be. Right. You know, so that's great. But man, there's a line also. And we are for sure over that line. Yeah. It's okay. Like I said, I feel like an endurance runner. Like I have hit my stride. I could do it. I, at this point, I could do it indefinitely. But also, I know from prior experience, it's not good to. And so I'm very, very excited. Uh, we got some work to do tonight. A uh, little bit tomorrow, but then starting Thursday, it's just we're going to take a couple weeks off, and I'm really just going going to lean into that, and I'm really excited. Yeah. I want to binge a show maybe with you. That Sounds could be fun. fun. I would like to eat some junk food. Yes. Uh, maybe go on some hikes, mm-hmm. you know? I'm just very, very excited. Yeah, very cool. Uh, we're grateful for you listeners yeah, also. We are. Thank yep. you so much for spending some time with us today. Uh, I hope that whatever the end of 2022 brings into your life, that you are able to find uh, some rest for yourself. I, I hope that you'll be able to cultivate some peace inside of yourself, no matter what's happening around you. Um, and I hope that we can enter 2023 with, uh, with just an idea of welcoming some new things into our lives, whatever those might be for each of us. Yeah. Um, I know this time of year can be can be sad for some people. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people have experienced loss. Mm-hmm. Some people are grieving broken relationships mm-hmm. and have been for a long time. I know what that's I know what that's like. Yeah. Um, and for some people, it's it's a it's a their favorite time of year. You mm-hmm. know, and and so whatever it is for you. I just want you to, I just want to remind you to be good to yourself. Yeah. No matter what it looks like mm-hmm. around you. Um, and be good to each other as well. I love it. That's a beautiful admonition. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for being with us. Uh, it means a lot to both Shannon and to me that you listen to our podcast, that you listen to us do this really improbable thing, which is just get on microphones and talk about things that are important to us. <laughs> It's not a normal thing to do uh, and that you indulge us in it and that you listen with such care and give us, you know, such wonderful feedback about it and engage with us about what we're talking about. It's really meaningful. Yeah. Uh, it has brought a really cool new dimension to our lives over this last four and a half years. Yeah. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Mm. Um, I want to echo Shannon's uh, admonition. Be good to yourselves, people. Give yourself a lot of grace right now. It's just a stressful time. Everyone's energy is a little bit up. It can be up in a good way. It can be up in a a sad way. But either way, like, it's stress. The Greeks had this theory that there were two kinds of stress. There was eustress, which is positive, but still stress. And there was distress, which we all know. But the point being, like, eustress is still stress. So, like, 
if you're experiencing stressful energy, even if it's generally positive, everything's okay in your life, you might still feel stressed out in this time. Just like acknowledge that in yourself. Give yourself and everyone else around you a lot of grace. A lot of people are struggling, even if you're not. Also, you might be struggling more than you know. And so if you find yourself, even though things are theoretically all great in your life, just kind of feeling a little bit off, a little bit off, like on edge or something, that's normal and okay. Don't beat yourself up. Everything's all right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see you in 2023. Can't wait. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.